The reading is taken from Exodus, chapter 34, verses 12 to 23, and chapter 34, verses 5 to 8. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favour with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways, so I may know you and continue to find favour with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked, because I am pleased with you, and I know you by name. Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation. Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshipped. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Io, very much for reading that so well for us. Well, we're continuing to look at encounters with God. Last week, we saw Jacob's encounter with God at the river Jabbok. 
when Jacob was fearful, anxious, alone, and how God met him and renamed him as Israel. We're now four or five hundred years after that. Uh, Jacob's 12 sons for the children of Israel. We know how Joseph was sold in slavery in Egypt, how there was a famine, how they all went down, uh, and 400 years later they'd become slaves. Uh, God has met Moses at the burning bush. He's used Moses to rescue the people from Egypt. There's those plagues, there's the crossing the Red Sea, there's the gathering at Mount Sinai. God has given the Ten Commandments. And we've just had the disaster of the golden calf. Moses has been up the mountain with God. And while he's been away, they don't know what's happened to him. He's been away a long time. They've made an idol. They've bowed down to it. They've worshipped it. There's been drunkenness. There's been sexual immorality. And it's all gone horribly wrong. And Moses has come down the mountain. And this encounter we have between Moses and the Lord is part of what happens next. Uh, Moses is feeling the loneliness of leadership. He's feeling really on his own. He's feeling the exhaustion of it all. He's brought these people out of Egypt and it's all gone wrong. He's feeling the disappointment. He's gone up the mountain to be with the Lord where he ought to be and it's gone wrong. He's feeling confused. God had said he'd go with them and now he's beginning to say he won't go with them. Uh, what's going to happen? To the, what's the point of building a tabernacle if God's not going with us? The whole point was for him to be there. Uh, now, whether you are a leader and you identify with the loneliness, the exhaustion, the confusion and the disappointment, or whether you just identify with loneliness and confusion and disappointment and wondering what's going on. As God meets Moses here, so God comes to meet us. We praise God. We've just sung that wonderful song about Jesus taking our sin on the cross and opening a way so we can freely come to him. And you and I have access to God uh, just as Moses did. So let's pray that he will meet with us wherever we are as we look at this story. Lord God, our Father, we praise you that you are the same down the years. You are still a God of compassion and mercy and love and faithfulness. And as you met with Moses at this very difficult point, come by your spirit and meet with us. Help me as I speak and help us think through the story and get into the story. But we pray that you will come and meet with us, that you would, as it were, step off the pages of this story and encounter us where we are today. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week I had six points for you, and you may remember I got a bit, I couldn't even remember them myself, but there were, there were plenty of them. Today just got two main points, uh, two main halves to this story, if you like. There's Moses pursuing more of God's presence, and in response to that, there's God revealing more of his character to Moses. And you get this sort of virtuous cycle as we pursue God, so God reveals more to us. As God reveals more of himself to us, so we're drawn into him more. Uh, and that's the sort of virtuous cycle. Ross was talking about it for our worship. We want to exalt God. We want to encounter him. Uh, and we see this happening in this story. So first of all, let's look at it from Moses' point of view as he's asking for more of God's presence. Uh, he first encountered God at the burning bush, probably about two years before. Could have just been one year, may have been three, but it's that sort of time. Uh, God's taken him to Egypt, there have been the plagues, he's come out, there's been the miracle at the Red Sea, he's brought the people to Mount Sinai, God's given him these Ten Commandments, it's an extraordinary, I mean it's just amazing and now it's gone wrong. 
And we find Moses back in conversation with God, not for the first time. I've just been chasing this through, thinking, well, how many times had Moses been up the mountain to meet God? It's at least five, for those of you who like these things. Exodus 19, verse 3, Moses went up to God and God called to him from the mountain, and then he comes down again. Exodus 19, verse 20, the Lord descended off Mount Sinai and called Moses back up the mountain, and he goes down again. Exodus 20, verse 21, the people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was on the mountain. Then Exodus 24, 15 to 18, I'll read this one a bit more fully. Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days the cloud covered the mountain. On the seventh day the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. Then Moses entered the cloud as he went up on the mountain, and he stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. And it's during that long time that they've given up on him. They think he's been burnt up, he's consumed, and that this whole terrible idolatry of the golden calf happens, and God sends him back down. And in this story, we find Moses going up again. 32 Exodus 32, 31. Moses went back to the Lord. Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They've made themselves gods of gold and so on. So Moses has been getting to know God quite well over these last two years, certainly far better than Jacob knew him four or five hundred years before, and he's drawn into his presence. God had shown him on the 40 days the whole design for the tabernacle, so a way of God dwelling with his people without consuming them. But now it's all gone so horribly wrong, and God is threatening not to go with them anymore. So at the start of the chapter that I read to us, Exodus 33, verse 1, The Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and the people you brought out of Egypt. Go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. This is terrible news. God's not going to go with them. What is Moses to do? He's developed this sort of intimate relationship with God, and he doesn't want to go and lead the people without God, but he's fully aware that God might well destroy the people. And what's he to do with all these plans for the tabernacle? What's the point of building one of those uh, for God's presence if God's not even going to be there? What's he meant to do? He's confused, he's frustrated, he's feeling isolated, he's on his own. Well, we find a temporary solution. Uh, Moses sets up a tent of meeting where he can inquire of the Lord much more easily than going up the mountain. And if you've ever been to Mount Sinai, when I was a young man, I went up and slept on the top of it. It's very high and it's hard work going up there. Uh, Moses has already been up five or six times. uh, And last time he's been up, the people have given up on him. So there's this tent of meeting, a small tent that he sets up, Exodus 33 from verse 7. Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses till he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance to their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. 
Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, the son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Now this is a lot easier than Moses going up the mountain. Uh, it has an advantage for him, and it has an advantage for the people. They can see exactly where he is, and while he's there, they're not going to do anything stupid again. Uh, so this is it's a temporary solution, and it's in this conversations at the tent of meeting that Moses has this conversation with the Lord. And he says to the Lord, I don't want to do this on my own. If you're not coming with me, I'm not interested. And this is where we pick up the reading that I read. So Exodus 33, verse 12 to 13. Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me, lead these people, but you haven't let me know who you will send with me. You've said, I know you by name and you found favor with me. If you're pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember, this nation is your people. And God replies, this wonderful verse. Uh, oh, we got the wrong reference there. Sorry, that's Exodus 13. We need Exodus 33, 14. <laughs> Sorry about that. I've given, that's my fault entirely. I just see in my notes. I'll read to you what it says. We'll take that down. Exodus 33, 14. God replies, my presence will, oh, you are brilliant, Matt. My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Can we have a round of applause for our technical team, by the way? They are, they are. Quite often I give things in the wrong order to my notes and sometimes I give them the wrong references altogether. But here is a glory, Moses has said, I don't want to go on my own. And God says, my presence, literally my face will go with you and I will give you rest. Now, God says the same things to you and me now. Jesus has said, I am with you always. He said, come to me and I will give you rest. In those days, this was only Moses and the people of distance. But this is for you and me. We, have, we can come to God's presence. His face shines on us. Uh, Moses wants to make sure of this. I think I've got the right references here. Exodus 33, 15 to 17. Moses said, if your presence does not go with us, don't send us up from here. How will anyone know that you're pleased with me and your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord says to Moses, I will do what you've asked. I'm pleased with you. I know you by name. So this is a wonderful encounter when Moses was at a real crossroads. What's he going to do? God meets him. He reassures him. He says his presence will go with him. But Moses wants more. It's not enough. He's seen, and seen quite a lot of God. He wants more. Verse 18, now show me your glory. And Moses has seen God's power. He's seen the plagues in Egypt. He's seen the Red Sea. He's seen the fire on the mountain. But it's really his presence going closer in he wants more of. Nothing less will do. I heard a story some years ago uh, from the Second World War when obviously lots of the fathers were away fighting a mum with her little child would do bedtime prayers and they had a photo of dad who was away fighting. And each night she'd say, now kiss your father and get into bed. And each night they had their prayers, he'd kiss the photo and they'd get into bed. And the day came when dad was home on leave and he was there and he was there at bedtime for a story and the prayer. And so the mum said, now kiss your daddy and get into bed. And he kissed the photo <laughs> and got into bed. Um, missed the real thing. Now, I think in the church, we can do that. We can laugh at that. I don't know about you for pursuing God's presence. Really good hearing Ross again. We want to be better at encountering God. It's ever so easy to just deal with the photo, to read the stories, to say our prayers, 
to administer things well, to sing, to teach, to serve, but all from a distance. And Moses isn't up for that. He wants God's presence. He wants God's glory. And it's increasingly my prayer for me and this church that we encounter more of God himself. We don't just tell the stories. We don't just uh, sing and serve and do things for the Lord. But we know him, we meet him, we encounter him, and people who encounter us encounter God. It's literally God's face, his presence. It's the difference between, gosh, when I had children at home, if I was, I was there, but I might be sitting reading the newspaper and not really present with them. The difference between reading the newspaper, or trying to anyway, and actually being on the floor playing with the Lego. Now, God's omnipresence is that he's there. But this is, Moses wants God there with him, his face fully engaged, and he wants to see his glory. And God says, okay. So we pick it up again at verse 18. Uh, Moses says, show me your glory. And the Lord says, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. So it's not so much God's power. His glory is his goodness. And I'll proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. I'll have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But you can't see my face. No one can see that and live. And so the next day, Moses goes up on the mountain uh, and God hides him in the cleft of the rock and God makes his, uh, well, let's, we'll pick it up. Exodus 34, let's re read the actual words. So the Lord said to Moses, chisel out the two stone tablets like the first ones. Moses had broken the first ones when he was so cross at the golden calf. I'll write on them the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. Be ready in the morning and then come up on Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me on top of the mountain. So he comes and then God comes down. So Moses chiseled out the two stone tablets. He went up early in the morning. He carried the two stone tablets in his hands and we'll get there. Next verse. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. He passed in front of Moses saying, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And God reveals so much more of who he is to Moses. This is what Moses needed most, to encounter God, to know his goodness, his mercy, his love, his compassion. Well, yes, he's a God of justice and sin will be punished. But even deeper than that, God is a God of compassion and love and mercy. Now, as I look back over many years in ministry, I see that in those early days, I was much more content to try and do God's work, to teach people the Bible, to sing songs, to pray prayers, to run events. And yes, take time to pray. But I was much more passionate, I think, about seeing the church built than about God's presence. And down the years, God has worked on me bit by bit by bit. Uh, leading me deeper in prayer. Still feel like I've got a very, very long way to go. I think the closer we get, the further we, we realise there is to go. To the point where now I'm with Moses, where I want to know God's presence more. And I long for that for our church. There was a prophecy many years ago about this will be a place where God is encountered. People come in and encounter him. That's happened to different people we know, but we long for that to happen more and more. A wonderful old Pentecostal scholar, Gordon Fee, who wrote a book about God's presence. He wrote this. Presence is a delicious word because it points to one of our truly great gifts. 
Nothing else can take the place of presence, not gifts, not phone calls, not pictures, not mementos, nothing. If you ask the person who's lost a lifelong partner what they miss most, the answer is invariably their presence. When we're ill, we don't need soothing words nearly so much as we need our loved ones to be present. What makes shared life, games, walks, outings, concerts, a myriad of other things so pleasurable? Presence. Now, you know we've been bereaved uh, sort of doubly over Christmas and my mum's funeral this week. Uh, but even at a much lesser level than that, Dudley, our old Labrador, whose presence was there for 13 and a half years, I miss his presence. And that's just a dog. <laughs> no, a bit much loved dog. Uh, God invites us to know his presence. And my question for you this morning is do you want to know him? Moses did. And Moses pursued it. And basically says, Unless you're with me, Lord, I'm not interested in doing all this stuff anymore. And God says, Yes, and encounters him. So let's look at it from God's side what God is revealing of himself to Moses. Let's read those verses again, chapter 34, 5 and 6. The Lord came in the cloud, he stood there with Moses and proclaimed his name, the Lord, and he passed in front of Moses saying, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. This is one of the amazing moments in the Old Testament. This verse is quoted more than any other in the rest of the Bible about what God is like. God's already revealed his name, I am, or Yahweh, the Lord, uh, some chapters before. But now he fills it out, his depth of love and faithfulness and compassion and goodness. And now each of those bits merits a whole sermon. This time last year, I preached a sermon just on those two verses uh, under the title, God Has a Name, using the title from John Mark Comer's book, um, wonderful, wonderful book. If you've not come across that, this is based on these words. God's name, Yahweh, the Lord. A fabulous, easy to read book, and I commend that to you. Or if you don't like reading and you want to know more, if you go to the website for January last year, you'll find the sermon I preached on it. Uh, just a couple of highlights about uh, what we find here. We can put the book cover down, thank you. Compassionate and gracious. Compassionate is a feeling word. Gracious is a putting into action those feelings word. God feels compassion for us and he acts on it. Elsewhere in the scriptures, tender like a mother. Or Psalm 103, like a father has compassion on his children. Uh, we see it supremely in Jesus. When Jesus met people in need, he had compassion in his guts. It's that deep word. And he acted, compassionate and gracious. Slow to anger is literally long of nostrils. I love Hebrew, the way it describes things. So when we lose our temper, we're short of nostrils. Our nostrils flare out like that. Our nostrils flare out, we're short-nostrilled, and we breathe out through our nose. When we're long-nostrilled, we breathe in through our nose calmly and deep breath. And it's this long-suffering, lovely Hebrew idiom of long-suffering. God is patient with us, slow to anger, merciful. I recommended another book to you a year or so ago, Dale Ortland's book, Gentle and Lowly. This is one of the most wonderful Christian books I've ever read. Uh, 23 short chapters, eight pages each. I've now used it three times over the last 18 months for my quiet times. 
which doesn't say long tree, but it goes into God's compassion. It's based on Jesus saying, come to me and I will give you rest, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. The only time in the Bible where Jesus tells us what his heart is like. And it picks up what God said he was like to Moses. Gentle, humble, patient, kind, slow to anger. Now, of course, God's anger uh, does fall. It fell on his people of old when they consistently disobeyed him. It will fall at the end of time when Jesus comes again. But we celebrate that Jesus took it on himself on the cross. And we know we're forgiven. God's anger does not fall on us because Jesus took it on himself. And when we come to him, he is gentle and lowly. Slow to anger. And then this last phrase, abounding in love and faithfulness. Uh, I love the fact Ross picked a song about your love endures forever. This love and faithfulness we find throughout the scripture, picking up on what God revealed here. Two wonderful Hebrew words, hesed and emeth, that go together. Almost untranslatable. Hesed, covenant love, steadfast love, everlasting love. And emeth is truthfulness, trustworthiness, faithfulness. Uh, the Psalms are full of it. I just got one example here, Psalm 89.1. I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth I'll make your faithfulness known. But there's hundreds of versions. You don't have to read the Psalms very far to find them. Interestingly, I learnt that in John chapter 1, verse 14, where we read that Jesus is full of grace and truth. Well, that was written in Greek. The Hebrew translation of that is hesed and emeth. It's the same. Everlasting love and faithfulness. Jesus is. And all these verses pick up on what God revealed back in Exodus 34. Jesus reveals it perfectly to us. So you and I can come to God with great confidence. He is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. That's why the writer to the Hebrews in Hebrews 4.16 says this, let's approach God's throne of grace with confidence so we can refine mercy and find grace. You see all these words again go back to Exodus 34. Grace, mercy, that's, that's what, who God is. That's what we find when we come there. Uh, we could put up Exodus 34 verse 6 again. There it is compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love or mercy and faithfulness. The trouble is we often have a false view of God. There are lies we believe about God which keep us away from him. And that's why the better we get to know him, the more we read the scriptures, what he's really like, the more we're drawn to him, the more we encounter of him, we set up this sort of virtuous cycle of encountering the truth of God. Well, what was the effect of Moses? of this deeper revelation of God. Well, let's read the end of Exodus 34, what happened when he came down, verse 29. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he'd spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, so Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him and he spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near him, and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil till he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face till he went in to speak with the Lord. 
Well, if we were all doing that, perhaps we ought to take, we've all got our faces veiled at the moment. <laughs> when you have your quiet times and pray, for goodness sake, take your veil off when you're on your own with the Lord. Uh, St. Paul picks up on this uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Um, we'll, I'm beginning to run out of time, Matt, so we'll just speed on to the end of that. We'll use that passage, 2 Corinthians 3, but to the last verse. Uh, let's keep going. There we are. Uh, this is at the end of 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul is saying that if the old covenant brought glory such that Moses' face shone, how much more the new covenant? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We're not like Moses who put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull. To this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It's not been removed. Only in Christ is that veil taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But here we are for you. Whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. In other words, what happened to Moses can happen to you and to me. God has given his Holy Spirit. Moses went on, they built the tabernacle, the cloud dwelt there, they went into the promised land, the temple came and God's presence were there supremely when Jesus came. The cloud went wherever he was. Uh, You could see it on the Mount of Transfiguration. But now God's poured out his spirit. His presence is here with us. And we need to make time to lean in daily on our own, whether it's sitting down with a cup of coffee in the scriptures, whether it's going for a walk with the Lord, uh, however you do it, do make time with the Lord who loves you, who's gracious, who's compassionate. And as we worship together in big groups like this and smaller groups, we want to encounter him. And the idea is that as we encounter him, others notice, just like people noticed Moses's face shone. So as we get to know God in Jesus, people notice. Just like if you've been sunbathing and your face glows, people know you've been in the sun. When people have spent deep time with the Lord, you can tell. Uh, St. Paul used a couple of images around here in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15. We are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ. We smell like Christ. Those who are being drawn to Jesus, that's very attractive. Those who are avoiding Jesus, actually it's not. But if we smell like Jesus, that would be wonderful. Or Paul says in chapter 3, we're like a letter written by God that anybody can read. You're a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with with the spirit of the living God, uh, not on tablets of stone, but tablets of hearts. People can read. The idea is that we pursue God's presence. And as we encounter people, together or spread around the community through the week. God meets us. Well, we can't make God turn up, but there are things we can do that stop it. When we sin, when we fall out with each other, when we don't do forgiveness, when we hoard rather than generous, when we're not holy, when we're not united, all of that pushes God away. But let's ask God, near the start of this new year, to make his presence known in this place. And through us in schools and hospitals and workplaces and streets and neighbourhoods and businesses and everywhere we are through the week. So would you stand, band, would you come back? 
I'm afraid we're approaching time. I'm going to, in a couple of minutes' time, I'm afraid those little people will need to go and get them. Um, perhaps when we're singing the song, if during the song you go and get your little people so we can honour uh, those who are caring for them. But you've still got two or three minutes first. You don't have to go quite yet. So, Lord Jesus, we bow in your presence. You are the Lord. You are, as uh, was revealed to Moses on the mountain, full of grace and truth, compassion, mercy, long-suffering, love and faithfulness. And we thank you for revealing some of that to us. Pour out your spirit on us, we pray. And make your presence known more and more in this place in the years to come. And through us, your people, right around this community. And just in the stillness, we ask if there's anything individually that is in the way of us encountering you. Any sin or over-busyness or whatever it is, just point that out to us, would you, so we can confess it and deal with it and get to know you better. Let's be still for a minute. Forgive us, Lord, if things have come to mind that are unworthy of you. Cleanse us because of what Jesus did on the cross. Wash us clean. May we know that we're forgiven, adopted, and that you, our Heavenly Father, love us and welcome us. And as we worship you for what you've done in Jesus, come by your Spirit afresh in increasing measure and make yourself known, even in this place, even now. And we pray it all in your name. Amen. Let's sing together.